Well, we are in the Gospel of John, as we have been this summer. If you're getting tired of it, don't worry. There's only two more weeks left, and then we'll do something else. Uh, but we've been looking through the, uh, the I Am sayings, these, these, these things Jesus says about himself, and then the signs, these, these miraculous things that Jesus did, pointing to his identity. But we're, we're, we're continuing that. We're, we're now, the, the highlight of the signs was the raising of Lazarus. But we've got two more I Am sayings. But you need to understand in the Gospel of John, we've had a little bit of a change. Okay, For the first uh, 12 chapters or so of the Gospel of John, Jesus has been walking around, teaching, doing these miracles, saying things about himself, having a lot of conversations. And, and the question mark has been, like, who is Jesus? Who is this guy? And he keeps saying things about himself. And some people are believing. Some people are having trouble believing. Some people are downright against him and angry and want to kill him. But so, so this big lingering question in his earthly ministry has been, who is he and what's he doing and, and what do you think about it? But now we switch gears. And in the Gospel of John, um, Jesus, the, the, we spend several chapters, about five chapters, in one evening of Jesus' life. Okay, so imagine we've gotten 13 chapters, or 12 chapters of like Jesus doing stuff for years, and then we now slow down and just have only a couple of hours that we're getting a glimpse into and it's, it's all in the upper room. So Jesus is about to be betrayed. He pulls his disciples together in this special place. And he starts saying to them certain things. He's trying to prepare them. Not only for his death, which is going to happen tomorrow in that timeline. But also that, that, that they're not going to have him anymore. And so he wants to get them prepared. And so there's this, there's, this, there's this speech. So Jesus sort of teaches. Really goes about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And uh, he, he wants to get them prepared, and, and uh, he's, he's much more direct than he has been because it's just his disciples. And you're going to see as we read the passage that because it's just this intimate group, the disciples also ask Jesus a lot of questions. Okay, but he, he's called this, they call this the upper room discourse or the farewell discourse because Jesus is sort of saying goodbye to his disciples before his death. But it's this sort of special section of teaching in the Gospel of John. And so let me read how that teaching really starts. We've already had a chapter of some stuff happening in the upper room. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. He um, has done some teaching. He predicted that one of them will betray him. He just predicted that Peter would deny him. And so they're getting upset. This is all upsetting. And by the way, they're in Jerusalem where they know people want to kill them. And so they're anxious. They're anxious. And so Jesus says to them in John 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are, where, to, the way to where you are going. Um, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? 
Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, and the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're going to look at this passage sort of in four parts. There's Jesus' initial comments about where he's going. Then you get Philip's question, or Thomas's question, we don't know where you're going. Philip's question, just show us the Father. And then Jesus at the end sort of says this, truly, truly, I say to you. So Jesus senses the anxiety in the room. One of the things amazing to me when you read about Jesus, he, he knows what's going on in people's hearts and minds all the time. He has a sense of like, this is how the room is. This is how people are doing. So he encourages his disciples to not let their hearts be troubled and I love that image of hearts being troubled how many of you have had troubled hearts right you you had hearts that were just upset okay and if your heart's upset normally your stomach's upset too I found okay but you've had we had troubled hearts he says okay don't have troubled hearts but but in the context you just told us somebody's gonna betray you you just told us somebody's gonna deny you we're here under threat of our lives what do you mean to have, don't have troubled hearts But Jesus says, believe in God, believe also in him. Then he says, I'm leaving. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And that probably doesn't help the anxiety in the room, right? If you wanted to not trouble our hearts, don't tell us you're leaving. But he says, I'm going. And I often use these particular verses in funerals because I love Jesus' image of heaven. We tend to think of a heaven as this neighborhood actually it's technically like a gated community right and uh it's gated community streets of gold and we have like a mansion somewhere up there like down the street from god i guess okay you just hope your street you know hope you got a good piece of property that's not too far from jesus we live as a neighbor of jesus that's not how jesus portrays heaven what does he say heaven is a house it's a house, and it has many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place for you that we don't live eternity as a neighbor of God. We live eternity as a child of God. And this is actually how things used to work. It used to be you'd have a house as, uh, as, the, as the patriarch of the family, and then when one of your sons would get married, you'd normally add a room onto your house, either on the back or on the side, so that they would have a house. And then when you had another son getting ready to get married, you'd build a room for them. And so we find this all over the Middle East, that houses were actually these complexes, normally with a shared courtyard, so that all the family stayed in one place. So you live in a house, a room prepared by your father for your life. Right? And I love this image of heaven. We're not neighbors of God. We are children of God. And Jesus is going to prepare a place for you. He's adding on rooms so that you can be there. Now... The disciples have no idea what he's talking about. And good old Thomas, I feel like Thomas gets such a bad rap. Like we call him Doubting Thomas. But I think he's like engaged Thomas. He's like questioning thinking Thomas. I like thinking Thomas. 
this, I think I would be Thomas. I'd be like wanting to think about it, wanting to ask questions. And he speaks up. And it's interesting that, that John, this is a, another way we can verify we think John really wrote this because he can remember who specifically asked the questions. And Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? He's not thinking about Jesus dying. He, he doesn't understand. Why would you bail on us now? And Jesus responds with one of the, the richest statements that he makes about himself in, in all of the scriptures. And uh, I wonder if we would have missed it if Thomas hadn't asked this question. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. The lead off to that is a way, right? Because we don't know the way. And so really this is about the way. And then he sort of adds the truth and the life. I find in the church we either emphasize the truth or the life. Okay, We are Presbyterians. We like our truth. We like our doctrine. We like our creeds. We tend to make our faith about believing. Okay? And we can't always understand where our friends that are sort of Baptist or non-denominational seem to talk about life all the time. Okay? They, they don't seem to have doctrine. They seem to have like live your best life now kind of conversations. But we can see Jesus being the truth and the light. But the early church, do you know what they called themselves before they were called Christians? Followers of the way. The early church, they thought of themselves in this way as the way. And I love that image of followers of the way, right? Because it's got a double meaning. Jesus says, I am the way. And then it also points to, to, to following Jesus being like a path. Right? We're on the way of the way right now. And so maybe we need to think about our faith more like a path. Now, th- there's a challenge here, right? In that these words of Jesus are pretty exclusive. We live in a very pluralistic society. So my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth. But Jesus flat out says, No one comes to the Father except through me. Now what Jesus does with people from other faiths or people who grew up in India and have never heard the gospel, that's up to Jesus. I don't know. But but I think it would be faulty for us after Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me, to say, oh, but there's other ways too. That's kind of tough for me to sell out of the Scriptures. Otherwise, why would Jesus fight with the Pharisees? Why would Paul try to convert both Jews and Romans? Why not let just them have their own truth? No, I think there's something important here about Jesus being not only the way, but being the only way. Then all these questions lead Philip to ask another question. Right? He says, okay, well then show us the Father. If, 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 if what is key is seeing the Father, why don't you show us the Father? That would be enough. I love the word enough in that sentence. Like, Philip, do you remember when I raised Lazarus from the dead? Remember the blind guy? Remember the lame Remember feeding 5,000 people with some kid's lunch, right? Like, like when is enough enough? Now, I find a lot of Christians like that too. I, it would be enough, Jesus, if you would just do a miracle for me. And yet their life is full of miracles and they can't even see it. Like, when will enough be enough? And Jesus goes on to, to answer his question, not just with the enough, but to say, hey, you want to see the Father, I am the Father. The Father is in me, and I am in the Father. And and this word in is so key. We're going to deal with it even more next week when Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. But but to be in the Father is to be be really connected. In fact, Jesus goes so far in this verse as to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I don't know if anybody else could say that, right? Like, if you've seen me, you haven't seen my wife. It's not the same person, right? 
But Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is a pretty amazing and pretty exclusive claim here to say, I am I am the Father. And we, we live in a society, too, that wants to make Jesus out to be this really good teacher. Oh, he's nice. He says some really good things. No, he says some crazy things. Okay, C.S. Lewis said it like this in his book, Mere Christianity, although he used to say it a lot. He said, you can deal with Jesus and call him a liar. You can call him a lunatic. Or you can call him Lord. Okay, you can call him a liar for saying these things. You can call him crazy for saying these things. Or you got to admit that he's Lord. But the one thing he is not is a good teacher. Okay, any good teacher that claims to be God is not a good teacher. Unless he's right. Okay, and I, so, so there's a, a challenge there. Then, Jesus goes on to, to kind of wrap it up. He says, truly, truly. And when Jesus says, truly, truly, it's like, hey, listen up. I'm going to say something important. Okay, I'm going to emphasize. I'm going to bring this section to a close. He really wants to emphasize. He says, yo, listen up. And he proceeds to say that whoever believes in him will do greater works than his works. Uh, what? How many of you have done anything in your life greater than raising Lazarus from the dead? Anybody anything close than, than, than healing a blind man? And then he goes on further to say that if you ask anything in Jesus na- in my name, it will be granted. Really, anything? How many of you have prayed for something and you put the magic words on it, you said in Jesus' name, and you didn't get it? So what is Jesus saying? Well, two points of clarity that I, that I think are important. One is that when I think when Jesus says greater things here, he's not, he's not talking about greater in uh, scope than what he did, right? He, he did really amazing things. <clears throat> but I think part of what he's saying is, hey, when I go to be with the Father, okay, when my mission is over, then my work has to continue. And in some ways it is greater because it's greater on the other side of the cross and the resurrection. Okay, God has great work for you to do. And great work for this church to do. Why? Because we are continuing the work of Jesus. What could be greater? What could be greater? And then in the end, that work is going to be rewarded. Or I surely don't want to be shamed for not doing what I should have done. Right? So there's this greatness that we are called to. <clears throat> we can do great things in our community, with our family, with our friends. We can bring people into this great kingdom we can bring this kingdom into great important places. Now, the, the other thing to clarify is that when Jesus says in Jesus' name, it's not just magic words at the end of your prayer that make them come true. Okay, when you pray in Jesus' name, your name, we just sang about what a beautiful name it is. Okay, your name in the ancient world was your identity. Okay? It was your heritage. It was your character. It was who you are. So when you pray in Jesus' name, you're actually invoking Jesus' will, Jesus' character. Okay? You're, you're praying that whatever is in this prayer, that's his will, that's his plan, that's his character that goes along with who Jesus is and what he's doing, let those things be, be answered. Actually, the scary part about that for most Christians, and you don't tend to think about it, is... That when we pray in Jesus' name in our prayers, we are actually also simultaneously praying that if it's not in your name, ignore it. When we say in your name, Jesus, we're also saying anything that's not in your name, in your character, in your will, goes along with your plan. You can ignore that part of the prayer. 
we've invited Jesus, in fact, to ignore that part of the prayer because what we've said is, in your name, or how else does Jesus say it? Your will be done. Right? Part of saying your will be done is not my will be done. Okay? And so, so you got to keep those kind of two things in mind and avoid two extremes. One is to say that, that nothing miraculous can happen. And to say that, that we can't do great things. We just live out our life. Okay? But the, the other extreme is to say anything I want to set my mind to, anything I ask for, I can get. Well, no, not either. The answer is somewhere in the middle. And the difference is praying in Jesus' name. We're praying in Jesus' character, will, plan. See, so Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples. Why? Because they're anxious. And they're going to be more anxious. Peter's going to deny. Judas has already gone to sell out Jesus. Okay? He's going to die. He's going to be arrested and die. They're going to flee. Then they're going to see him raised from the dead. And he's trying to prepare them for that and then also for when he ascends. And he leaves it on them. Okay? Who's going to glorify his name? Who's going to show the Father's will when he's not there? It's going to be his followers, the people who follow the way. He's trying to prepare himself, prepare them for the way. That he is the way and that, that, that they need to follow in the way of Jesus. They need to try to be like him. They need to try to proclaim him. And that's what we're doing today. We are learning to be followers of the way. Following in the way of Jesus means not following in the way of Northminster, not following in the way of culture, not following in the way of my own feelings or desires, not following in the easy way, not following in the most social way. The way of Jesus is often hard. It's often hard. It's often counterintuitive. It's often not what I want to do. That's why we gather, everybody. So that we can sing a song and we can do communion and we can be reminded of the way of Jesus. So that when we go out into this world and it's really hard to follow the way, we kind of like huddled here. We kind of like practiced here. Okay, this is, this is practice for the followers of the way. And then we go out in the world and we're going to follow the way throughout our week. So we need to put aside our own ways in order to follow the way, the truth, and the life. We need to follow the way into the world, and we need to teach the way to our children and our grandchildren. But, but what's Jesus' assurance? That's intimidating, right? That, that's kind of anxious. I mean, I get, a little, I get a little troubled in my heart when I think about how hard it is to follow the way. But Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in Him. Trust in the Father. Remember that you are a child of God. You have eternal security. He... He has prepared a place for you. You're going to live eternally as a child of God. So it may be hard now, but remember how the story ends. Find hope. Find challenge in the greatness that, that God is calling us to do great things for Him in this world. Rise to that challenge. Boldly move in the way of that challenge. And we can go to God in prayer when we struggle. We can ask in His name. And he can answer those prayers. So my encouragement is, see yourselves as followers of this way. Consider yourself a student of the way. Both the path of Jesus and of Jesus the way himself. May God bless you in your journey. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.